Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How are we feeling today? Good. We're alive, we're with it. And part three of the Chiefs' domination of the NFL begins today. Four of you were really excited about that. Brian had an extra cup of coffee today. Well, listen, I'm so glad that you're here today. We're going to be wrapping up our journey through this series that we've called Firestarter, which is uh, really kind of God's guide to help us ignite the passion for life again. And we really started this series uh, five weeks ago by just simply being honest and recognizing that the events of the last 18 months or so have had a toll on us. That for a lot of us, the, the conversations, the arguments, the disagreements, the division, the, the frustration, um, the, the hardship of the last 18 months all around us has really just kind of ground us down and kind of beat us up and really kind of drained the enthusiasm and passion for life. And what we've been learning is, is we've been learning how to, how to try to get that pep in our step again. We've been learning how to, how to ignite the passion for life again. And so we've been in this series and we've been learning about this sequence and the sequence is so important of what God wants for us that, that it doesn't matter if you're a Jesus person or not, this works for everybody. And so what we've been learning is, is this process that God wants to start with a spark and that spark is, 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 is when you join in with Jesus people together, gathering together and praising him and, and leaning into his word, that creates the spark. And then, and then everybody knows you're gonna have a fire, you can't just have a spark, you gotta have the fuel and the fuel is biblical community when you invest and you get other people around you that are for you, that are praying for you, encouraging you, holding you accountable, challenging you, that God provides fuel to that spark. And last week we learned about the flame that gets ignited and, and what we do with that flame to make sure that, it, that we don't prematurely snuff it out. And so we've been, we've been diving into this. And the reality of it is, as we talked about this last week, that you know, you, we get to the point where we finally have the flame. And, and the tendency is, is for us to just go, I'm good. I finally got there. I got, I got my spark. I got my fuel. I got the flame. And I'm good to go. And I believe this, that for a lot of people in life, I believe this for a lot of Christians especially, that we get to this point and we think, man, this is living. This is what it's all about. Man, God is so good. Look at this. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. There you go. See that falsetto? I went up. I would almost call that a key change, but I don't think that's right. But I'm here to tell you today that God has something even more in store for us than just this. I wanna unpack this for us today. I wanna help us understand this. Before I dive into the content for today, before I talk about how God wants to take this flame that's now been ignited, we've gone through the sequence, we've got the flame, God wants to take it and put it, make it kind of one of these situations where it just goes out of control in the best possible ways. I want to reveal something that has kind of intentionally been hidden 
throughout this sequence, throughout this series, that, that when, we, when we say that we're trying to ignite the passion for life again, it's important that we understand what the passion for life is. We all have different interests. We have different passions. Maybe yours is uh, you know, gardening. Maybe yours is football. Maybe yours are your kids or your spouse. I don't know what your passions are. We all have different passions and interests, but what has been kind of woven into the fabric of the content in God's word that we've been diving into is that the passion, like the root source of all passion is not just what we're interested in. It's not just what we're saving up for. It's not what we're trying to prioritize our time towards. That what God wants us to understand is that the passion for life is found when you discover life in Christ and live fully devoted to him. That's what the passion for life is. That, that's, that's ultimately what God is wanting to help us to see, what he wants to help us to understand. And so we're gonna dive into the content this week and I've titled today's message, The Wildfire. And I am so excited. I've been waiting for years to preach this message. And that's gonna make sense in a little bit. It doesn't make sense now. Let's dive into Acts chapter two where we've been as kind of the anchor text for our series. I'll give you a second to get there. Acts chapter two we're learning about the early church and we're kind of following their example and seeing what they did and how they lived and what they seemed to instinctively understand about how to, how to live this life in such a way that you can have this, this white hot passion. In Acts chapter two, if you're with me today, let me hear you one time say wildfire. wildfire. Yeah, you gotta say it with a growl, don't it? wildfire, you know what I mean? Like you can't just be like, hmm, wildfire. You know, that doesn't work, right? Wildfire, here we go. There it is. Thank you. Acts chapter two and verse 42. Here it is. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the flame we talked about. The gathering, when they gather around God's word and in fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, that's the fuel. There's that biblical community. Then fear came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. There's the flame and seeing the purpose of it serving externally. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had need. There's the flame being used internally to serve within the church. So continuing daily in one accord, there's the flame again in the temple. They're gathering together in the temple for worship and in the teaching of God's word and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There's the fuel again, house to house and small groups, which leads to what we talked about last week, this, this gladness, exceeding joy and simplicity of heart. And then praising God and having favor with all people. And then here it is today, what we're focusing on. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. These early believers had their lives changed by Jesus and their lives in conjunction with their message began to do something that turned the world upside down. That they had experienced something radical about Jesus and they began to take that message of what they had seen and what they had known and they began to go out and tell people about Jesus. And, and these two things, their lives and their message, they worked together to, to, to serve like a magnet that just drew people out of the woodwork to want to know what is going on with these people. They called them people of the way, by the way, back then. They didn't really call them Christians yet. What's going on with these people who in the midst of persecution, in the midst of everybody hating 
hating them, everybody being mad at them. How do they have so much joy? How do they have so much gladness? What is it that caused them to have so much favor with so many people? Yes, there were people who didn't like what they were saying, people in positions of power because they were upsetting the apple cart because they were saying, we don't bow down to a king who sits on a throne on earth. We belong to a king who came to earth defeated the king of the earth, went to the grave and came out and made the earth his footstool and is now seated in his throne in eternity in heaven and someday he's gonna come back. That's the king that we worship. That's the king that we follow. And what is it about these people who worship and follow that king that caused so many people to go, man, what's going on with them? They were added to their Numbers daily, those who are being saved. By my count, there are eight different times in the book of Acts where God talks about how many, many people were being added to this group of early rebels, these early Jesus people. In Acts chapter two, it says that many were added to their numbers daily. Every day, people were going, man, what is going on? How, what's going on with these people? In Acts chapter five, it says, increasingly added to their midst were multitudes of men and women. And here's what's crazy about that. In the culture of that day, the Jewish world was primarily a male-dominated society. Women were oftentimes ostracized and left out of things, but the message of Jesus goes past every barrier, whether it's a gender barrier, a race barrier, a socioeconomic barrier, and it, it welcomes everybody to come and see what the message of Jesus is all about. And they were being added to them. In Acts chapter 11, it says, large numbers were turned to the Lord. And history records for us that by the time that these early believers, the people in this first church died, that all of the known world, meaning the Middle East and parts of Europe that they had access to, that all of the known world had heard the name of Jesus. That's crazy. How is it possible that a group of 120 people who were huddled into an obscure room, into an unimpressive house in some back corner part of Jerusalem that were scared to death. How is it possible that this 120 people over the course of 60 years were able to influence millions upon millions of people? The answer is multiplication. The answer is they began to understand this wildfire. The answer is they began to help understand how math works. Let me ask you this. Any math or numbers people in the house today? Like, let's, okay, can we just be honest? If you're a math nerd, we love you. Just raise your hand, right? You're the ones that are balancing the budget. You're the ones that are looking at retirement. You're the ones that are trying to make sure, you know, babe, and babe can be a man or a woman. Babe, you don't need to spend that much money on those things because you already have four of them. I don't know who said that, but they will be sleeping in a cold and lonely place this evening. <laughs> Listen, when I was a kid, I, you know, math always kind of worked for me. You know, when we were a kid, you're learning to count by your ones and your twos and your fives and your 10. Man, I was, I was great at it. I really was. And then somewhere in middle school, like things got complicated because math stopped being about just math. It started also being about English. And I figured out how to multiply numbers, but how do you multiply a letter? Like, that don't make sense. But I began to learn something when I was in middle school and I was in algebra. We started to learn how to graph stuff. You know, Y equals MX plus B, and you got the slope, and it goes, you know what I mean? Some of you are like, oh, PTSD, ooh. 
my teenagers that are sitting here right now, listen, I promise you algebra will be effective and helpful for you someday when you're sitting in another message and a preacher's talking about it, you can go, yes, I took that class. The parents of those teenagers are going, shut your mouth. But I began to learn the, the power of, of not just addition, but multiplication. Matter of fact, Albert Einstein said this. Albert Einstein said that compounding interest is the most powerful force in the universe. He who, understand it, who, he who understands it earns it, and he who doesn't pays it. Man, if you have a mortgage, all you have to do is look at how much interest you fit to pay over the next however many years and go, oh, do we really need this house? See, what I wanna help you see today is we're talking about this metaphor, we've been using different fire metaphors that, that the wild, wildfire is multiplication. And the question that we're asking today is this idea of multiplication. We know it works in math, we know it works in finance, we know it works on our mortgage, but does it work spiritually? And I believe it does, and I believe the early church understood that it did. And I believe that we see when we look at them that we see the impact of what happened and God has called us, he's called every single Jesus follower to be intentional in multiplying in three distinct ways. And I wanna share those with you today. The first thing, the first way that God has called us to multiply is he has called us to multiply disciples. Now this word disciples is something, if you've been around church for a long time, you're familiar with this word. Maybe if you're new to church, first off, let me say thank you. I'm glad that you're with us. Man, there's no better place for you to be than to hang out. If you've got questions, man, we're glad that you are here. Can I get an amen from the church? Because we all at one point had questions. At some point we had somebody that welcomed us in and said, it's okay for you to ask your questions. The question is, is what is a disciple? I wanted to, wanted to find this for us today. A lot of definitions around this, but I love this definition. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And you go, okay, great, but what exactly does that mean? Here's what it means. In order for us to understand what it means, we have to dive in and unpack this word devoted. When you are a disciple of Jesus, which by the way, it's his desire that you don't just convert from, from whatever you were before to being a Christian, the, the, the message of Jesus, the intent of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus is that you don't just get by knowing that you're getting out of hell and you're getting into heaven, but that you understand that he has so much more for you when you become a disciple and when you begin to living fully devoted to him. What does it mean to be devoted? Well, it literally means that you devote. It means that you willingly take your vote away. In every scenario, in every situation, in every decision that you make about your finances, about where you go, about your career, about how you handle your parenting situations, about who you date, about how you approach trying to make that team, about how you, uh, uh, you know, in interact with your siblings or your parents or your children, that in every situation, there's never gonna be a time where you are not gonna have an opinion, where you're not gonna feel like, I have a vote, I have a say, it's my life, you can't tell me what to do. And but what it means to be a fully devoted follower Jesus is that you recognize that your relationship with Jesus is not a democracy. Your relationship with Jesus is a theocracy. He sits on the throne. He calls the shots. And so when you live fully devoted in every single one of those situations where you want to say, God, I'm going to, you live devoted and you go, no, 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 I'm going to take my vote away. I'm going to put my hand back in my pocket, Jesus, because the only vote that really matters is yours. Jesus, what do you say? What do you say about how I'm to vote? What do you say about how I should spend that money? What do you say about whether or not I should post this on Facebook? Now I'm preaching. 
It just means that we take our vote away and we say, Jesus, my life is yours. You're the boss. You're the king. You call the shots. I'll follow where you lead. That's what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And what Jesus does is he gives his message before he goes away and he goes into heaven. He gives this message to his disciples. And this message is oftentimes referred to in the church as the Great Commission because he's looking at his little band, his little ragtag army of of people, and he's going to commission them to go do something. Matthew 28, he says this. He says, he came and he spoke to them saying, all authority on earth has been given to me. In heaven and on earth, he's saying, listen, I've got the authority. There's nobody who has more authority than me. My authority trumps anybody else's authority. And then with that, he says, go, therefore. Don't, don't, he's not saying sit down and shut up. He's not saying, um, you know, sit down and read your Bible and just study it and soak it up and just get as much out of it as you can. He's not saying show up to church and, and applaud the, pra- the pastor and raise your hands maybe and then go back and live however you want to live. No, no, no. He's saying get up and go. There's action associated. He's saying, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is, is once you go and you make disciples, you tell people about me, and then you help them understand what I'm all about, then baptize them, which we're gonna be baptizing today. I'm so excited to do that. We're gonna be baptizing today, and it's a public declaration saying, I have devoted my life to Jesus. He's the boss, he calls the shots, and I'm letting everybody know that I'm not the king of my castle anymore. I belong to Jesus because he died on the cross and rose from the grave and he rewrote my story. Can I tell you what I love about that song? The story that Jesus writes is so great that he rewrites the stories that we have already written. And Jesus is rewriting stories. That's what these baptisms are gonna be about today. And then he says, now teach them to observe all the things I've commanded even uh, always and I will be with you even to the end of the age. He tells his disciples, y'all get up, y'all go, y'all got work to do. How did the early church do this? What does it mean to go make disciples? Well, there's two parts of it. The same thing that the early church did is what God wants us to do. By the way, it's important that we understand that this commission did not end with the early church. This commission extends to every single person who has ever been changed by Jesus. If you are a Jesus follower, this commission applies to you. He is not just saying this to Peter, James, and John, go make disciples. He's saying this to Tom. He's saying this to Mike. He's saying this to Kendall. He's saying this to Jessica. He's saying this to Suzanne. He's saying, go make disciples. And we do this the same way the early church did. It's a two-fold strategy. The first step is evangelism. What is that? That's a big fancy word that you'll hear in churches. Basically, evangelism is just telling other people about how Jesus changed your life. You say, well, I don't, you know, I don't have the whole Bible memorized. Da, da, da. Listen, listen, let me just dispel all of that. You are the expert on your story and how Jesus has changed your life. You're the expert. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You just gotta know how Jesus changed your life. So he's saying, when you go places, when you do things, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to your team, when you go to your community, look for opportunities to tell people about how Jesus changed your life. They're gonna ask you all kinds of impossible questions. Well, if God is so good, then why does this, this, and this? And tell me about that. You, you know, can I just tell you? Here's a great answer. I don't know about any of that. All I know is this is who I was and what I was about, and then Jesus, and now I'm different. That's what it is. 
It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. Then the second part of the process is discipleship. Discipleship is basically the process where you teach people what you've already learned about Jesus. They're, again, you don't have to have the whole Bible memorized to be able to disciple somebody. You just gotta be able to, once you tell someone about Jesus and, and you tell enough people, eventually someone's gonna go, man, I want more of this Jesus. I want my life to be changed like yours. And then great, let me show you how. And then they get saved. And then you go, listen, let me tell you, I may not know very much, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna take everything that I do know and I'm gonna invest it into you so that you know what I know. That's discipleship. And what God calls every Jesus follower to do is to go make disciples. By the way, the Great Commission was not, this is gonna wreck somebody's world today, the Great Commission was not given to the church organization. The Great Commission was given to Christians. The Great Commission was given to individuals. And the church's job, this is why so many people they, they, they get it twisted on what the church is. The church's job, I'm not the professional Christian in the room and all of y'all get to be the spectators. You go get them, pastor. You go get them. Go on now. Go get them. I, get back, I refer back to my Arkansas ways sometimes. Arkansas beat Texas, by the way, yesterday. Oh my goodness, I'm feeling so good right now. I don't even care if you're mad at me or hate me. I don't care. I'm just, woo, we don't suck and we've sucked for a long time. So it feels good to not suck. But here's the deal, the Great Commission was not given as an organizational mandate. The Great Commission was given as a personal invitation for you to step into the story of what God is doing and for you to experience the power of God using you to change someone else's life. Therefore, the church's job is to partner with you in your commission. As Discover Church, we organize our discipleship pathway around four things. We talk about this a lot, that we help people discover life in Christ. Almost everything that we do on Sunday mornings is designed and geared to help people take their first step in their relationship with Jesus. That's why we give an invitation people to respond to Jesus. By the way, it's also the reason why I, I preach the way that I do. Can I tell you, I don't care if you walk away from here on a Sunday and go, man, that's good preaching, pastor. Woo, man, that's good right there. But then you get to Tuesday and nothing, it doesn't impact your life in any way. The reason why I preach the way that I preach is because I, don't, I, don't, I could care less if you walk away on Sunday going, that's good preaching, but you don't do anything about it on Tuesday. I'm not preaching to your Sunday, I'm preaching to your Tuesday. We're gonna help you discover life in Christ. We help people discover belonging in community because we believe, we say it all the time, that life change happens in, in circles and not rows. By the way, small groups are starting this week. Listen, y'all, get connected to a small group. Are you wrestling with something? Is your marriage struggling? Are you trying to overcome something? Are you trying to learn more about what this relationship with Jesus is all about? Get into a small group. Because it's in small groups that we help you discover the belonging that's necessary so that you can have, have the people in your life to fuel the flame that we've been talking about. The third thing that we do is we help people discover purpose in their calling. We help people understand, why am I here? 
We do that through our Next Steps course, which relaunched back in person last week. We had 18 people in Next Steps course. Praise God, it's so good to have it back in person. Get you guys rolling through that again so that we can come alongside of you and help connect you to why you're here. And then the fourth step is that we wanna help you and equip you to make a difference. We wanna help you see that every single thing that God has put in you is not for the purpose of making a paycheck and not for the purpose of being able to post something on social media that says, look how good I am. Everything that God has put in you is so that you can go out into the world and make a difference and you can tell people about Jesus. And we invite you to join a dream team so that you can be a part of something much bigger than you could ever do yourself by serving here at Discover Church. And so, so that's, that, that's, that's what this great commission is all about. We organize ourselves so that we can partner with you. And we're so passionate. Listen, as a three-year-old church, there's so many things we're still learning. A three-year-old baby, they got a lot to learn. Amen? Amen. Some of y'all ain't had a three-year-old, obviously. People talk about the terrible twos. No, no, sir, uh-uh. It's that three-nager life. Like the day all three of my kids turned three, they became devils. Sweet little angels, two years old, everybody like terrible twos, they're so cute, a little toddling around. It's like the day they turned three. Don't touch that. So listen, we're trying to learn a lot of things about this, trying to figure out how to do it. One of the things that we're looking to do over the next year is we're trying to figure out how can we do a better job of creating um, a, a pathway for new believers to be able to understand the basics of the faith, doing that through small groups. How can we do this better? So we're working on this, all right? So God's called us to multiply disciples. God has also called us to multiply leaders. Now listen, the idea of leadership is something that is talked a lot about in our world today. Tons of podcasts and books. Everybody wants to talk about leadership right now. Depending on what definition you listen to, you might listen to a definition of leadership and go, well, that's not me. I'm not a leader. And I wanna help dispel that by bringing an, a, maybe a different idea, a different thought about what a leader is, or better yet, asking the question, who is a leader? And I love this definition, it's not original to me. A leader is the one who goes first. You remember the game, follow the leader back in elementary school? Apparently I'm the only one. The only one in Arkansas, we have nothing else to do. All right, we play follow the leader all the time. Who is the leader? The person at the front of the line, the person who is going first. Can I tell you something? If you are a mom, a dad, uh, if you are a, a boss, an employee, if you are a neighbor, if you are a Christian, if you have breath in your lungs, you are a leader to somebody. And when you become a Christian, then God, God almost writes into the job description that you become a leader, but not necessarily in like this hierarchical um, org structure kind of way, but you just understand that you are now a leader. I want you to notice what Philippians chapter 2, 15 says. It says that you become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Another translation says among whom you shine like stars in the galaxy. Jesus is saying, listen, you gotta understand that when you become a follower of mine, I've called you to be a leader. I've called you to follow me and to lead as many people as possible to me. You're a leader. You say, okay, I get that as a Christian culturally, that makes sense, but that certainly doesn't apply like organizationally. It doesn't apply in my place of business and I would beg to differ because I would say it absolutely does. And not only does it apply, this idea of 
multiplying leaders apply to um, your place of business. I want you to see that God's word is so rich with leadership text, by the way. If you're a student of leadership, you need to be a student of the Bible because there's so much rich content about leadership. I love what Paul writes to Timothy. Paul was, um, was an apostle and he had discipled this young man named Timothy. And then he had, he had went with Timothy to go plant some churches and he left Timothy at one of the churches. And young Timothy is trying to lead this church and Paul writes to Timothy some encouragement and some instruction. And a part of that is included here in 2 Timothy 2.2. He said, in these things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's saying, listen, you gotta take everything that you learn from me and commit them to faithful people. So look around, find some faithful people, identify people with some leadership potential that you can trust with authority, with responsibility, and commit the things that you learn from me to them so they can lead some other people as well. You see, the reality of it is it doesn't matter what your industry is, whether your industry is your home or whether your industry is banking or coaching, uh, your industry is teaching, it doesn't matter what your industry is. If you are a leader then your success will depend not on your ability to perform tasks, but once you become a leader, your success is determined on how effectively you can raise the capacity of those that you lead. It's not about you just being able to get one thing done, it's about you being able to lead a team of people to get way more done. And so your, your success as a leader will be based on how effectively you can increase the capacity of leaders around you. And in a spiritual sense, I would tell you that this is even more critical. In my 15 years of ministry, I have known so many churches and so many pastors, so many good and godly people who love Jesus and love the word and love the church and, and wanna see people come to know him and their lives change and freedom from sin and, and reconciliation and relationships and all of that. But oftentimes, in my observation, the, the separating value between those who are able to do that well and have a significant impact and those who are not able to do it well, it's not their doctrine, which is what they believe about the Bible. It's usually also not whether or not they can preach good. It is almost always about whether or not they can be effective in leadership. As a church, we take this seriously. Listen, I don't need to be the pastor or the, the, the hero of Discover Church. I, that, that's not me, that's not my goal. I'm not trying for y'all to walk out here and go, oh my goodness, y'all gotta meet my pastor. He's so great, he's so amazing, right? And he's, he, he uses words so good, that's how he says it, because he's so good, he's from Arkansas. He, he words so good, right? Like listen, if y'all spend more than about 10 minutes with me, y'all are gonna know like, man, how'd that joker do that? That don't make no sense. He's just a redneck. He's big, he's ugly, and he talks loud. Listen, can I tell you, I, here's why I don't need to be the hero of Discover Church, because Jesus already is. And my job is ultimately to reproduce as much as possible, to multiply as much as possible the message of Jesus in people's lives and to raise up leaders so that we can reach more people. I do that by investing into our staff. Our staff does that by investing into our dream team leaders. Our dream team leaders, hey, listen, let me talk to you for just a second. If you are a leader in the church, you're a dream team leader. Let me talk to my team, my staff, and my dream team leaders. Your job primarily is to multiply leadership. Find some people who God might be calling and wiring to lead and reproduce that into them and then let them go lead. Let them go make a difference. 
And our dream team leaders do that with our dream teams and on and on and on. Listen, as a staff, we're getting ready to double down on this. This might be insider baseball. You don't really care about this, but our staff is getting ready to go through a six-month training process to help us develop a discipleship process where we can disciple more leaders within our church, not just so that we can get more leaders serving in the church, but because I believe that if we disciple leaders well, not only will we see more leaders in the church, but we'll see leaders who are in leadership positions outside of the church have their leadership capacity lifted and they can shine brighter as a star among the universe of the darkness that is in the world and they can have more opportunity to point more people to Jesus because they're better as a leader. Anyway, I get excited about that stuff. God calls us to multiply disciples. He calls us to multiply leaders. And woo, I can't wait to tell you about this last one. I've been waiting for three years to talk to you about this one. God calls us to multiply churches. Check this out. In Acts chapter two, they're in Jerusalem. That's what we've been reading about. Notice what happens when we get to Acts chapter nine. 931, then the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So now it's not just a church in Jerusalem, but there's churches in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, right? The church is multiplying. There's more churches. Hey, it was one church, but now it's multiplying. It's going all across Jerusalem. And notice what it says. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied, meaning these churches were multiplying. There were new churches that were popping up all across Jerusalem. And we don't, we don't necessarily know exactly how the process worked, um, but we do get just a little bit of glimpse when we get to Acts chapter 13. Notice what it says in Acts 13. Now in the church that was in Antioch, man, so now it's all across. It's Jerusalem, it's, it's Judea, it's Samaria, it's Galilee, and now it's in Antioch. And I want you to notice what happens. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. These were the leaders of the church of Antioch. There was Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This is Saul that would become the apostle Paul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the works which I have called them. So they're, they're doing their thing, they're ministering, they're, they're, they're doing what God has called them to do. There are leaders within the church, people who used to, these are people who didn't used to be leaders in the church. These are just everyday people who had some kind of trade or some type of responsibility that God had called and elevated into a leadership role and they're leading in the church faithfully now and now they've started a church in Antioch and now these five guys are together and God begins to say to them, listen, I need to multiply this thing again. So separate from me Barnabas and Saul because I've, got, I've called them to do something new. I've called them to do something different. And notice what they did. They said, and then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. Meaning, they said, okay, God, we'll do that. So they brought Barnabas and Paul in, and the other three laid hands on them, and they prayed over them, and they prayed God's blessing, God's favor, God go with them, God use them in a profound way. And then Barnabas and Saul left Jerusalem, they left Israel, and they began to take the message of Jesus to the Gentiles, which to the Jewish world was unheard of, because they thought that the Gentiles were second-class citizens. Because God had said all along that the Jews were God's chosen people. And so now Barnabas and Saul go, and they, they go out and they go on their journey to go start new churches. And in a nutshell, that's how it works. If you think about it, every church has a beginning date. It doesn't matter if it's been here for three years like ours. I was just talking to someone who works at a church in the city that's 83 years old. Wow, that's crazy. Every church had a beginning. Every church started 
with a process similar to this, where there were some leaders in a church somewhere that God called out and said, listen, I need you to go start something new and do something new. And that church blessed them, prayed for them, and sent them out, and out they went. Discover Church is ultimately here because another church did that, a church called Abundant Life in Lee Summit. I was on staff there for 11 years. Jessica and I met there, we got married there, all of our kids were born and started in kids ministry there. That's where a lot of our our DNA, a lot of our roots from. And if you talk to anyone in the leadership there, I believe they would tell you that Jernigan didn't leave Abundant Life because he sucked at his job. He didn't leave because he was fitting to get fired. He didn't leave because we were mad at him. No, they came to me and they said, Jernigan, how would you like to be the campus pastor of the first campus that we launch? And it was at that time I, I had already known that God had put a burden in my heart to start a new church. And I said, man, I'm honored, I'm humbled. I, I can't believe that you would trust me with something like that. But God has put something different in my heart. And after we spent some time talking about it and praying about it, they spoke into my life and into Jessica's life and said, man, we see that. We see the track record of what you've been doing. We believe in you and we're going to support you. And so they sent us out three and a half years ago to come up here and start Discover Church. And they supported us at a hefty, in a, in a significant way to the tune of over $400,000 invested into the work of Discover Church over the course of three years. They invested so that a new church could be multiplied and started. And here's what I want you to hear. From the very outset of Discover Church, before we launched and had 562 people walk through our doors on our first Sunday, before Mallory Skinner committed her life to Christ and was the first person saved and baptized at our church, before we had any small groups gathering, before we had a leadership team meeting, when it was just, before I had really even said much about this to Jessica, God had put a vision in my heart and said, I want Discover Church to be a multiplying church. I want Discover Church to be a church that multiplies disciples, that multiplies leaders, and that multiplies churches. You go, what does that mean? Well, it means that we're trying to figure out how to do that. And I wanna say just as clearly as I possibly can, church, We are trying to have a baby. Not me and Jessica. Discover Church is trying to have a baby. Our staff, our leadership, our board have been spending a lot of time in prayer. What does it look like for us to multiply as a church? And we're probably still a year, two years away from actually being able to do that. But if you know anything about reproduction, you know that you don't just go, I think we want to have a baby. Poof, there it is. There's a process to it. And so we are actively praying, God, how would you use Discover Church to multiply leaders, disciples, and yes, how can we multiply as a church I want to help you sit, let me provide a little bit of handles to this because this is a little weird maybe, maybe you're unsure exactly what this means, but I want to help you see that there's basically two ways, basically, that churches today multiply. Most churches will multiply either by launching a new campus, and when you launch a new campus, when you multiply with a campus, what that means is it's the same DNA, it's the same church, but just in a new place. Think of it as a new room to the house, but in a different location. Or you multiply by launching a brand new church. 
Meaning that there's some similar DNA, but it's new DNA. It's not really connected to Discover Church. It's its own church, but we have the opportunity to help birth that church and send those leaders out to go start that new church. And so what, is, what that looks like for us is as we talk about this idea of trying to have a baby, what does that mean? God has called us, and we're gonna talk more about this over the next year or so, but God has called us, our first step in multiplication is to launch with a campus. What I mean by that is that when we launch with a campus is we're going to um, we're gonna identify a leader that I've been praying for years about, God, who would be our campus pastor to go take the DNA of Discover Church into a new part of the Northland so that we can launch a new Discover Church location there. And when we do that, the ministry, I'm sorry, the, the, the teaching and the operations will be centralized, meaning that the teaching will use technology and it'll be one message communicated into two different places and we'll use video and screens and a whole bunch of stuff I don't understand, but Matt Moeller does, and thank you, God, for Matt Moeller. Matt Moeller leads our production team. He tries to talk to me sometimes, and I feel like, can you say that again like I'm a five-year-old? But we're gonna utilize technology, and we're gonna, uh, we're, we're gonna have the same message being preached uh, and funneled through technology, and, and, and all the finances and the accounting and a lot of the administration will all kind of be under one umbrella, but all the ministry will be localized meaning that campus pastor will, will be shepherding the people and leading the leaders and making sure the kids ministry and small groups and, and next steps and all those things are happening. And someday, God's gonna lead us to not just multiply with the campus, God's gonna lead us to multiply by sending a new church out. And I've been praying for this person and this couple as well that God would raise up a man and his wife that, that would have the calling and the gifts to go start a new church that we could get behind them in a way that Abundant Life got behind us and say, listen, we love you, we believe in you, we believe that God has, has called you to this and we're gonna send you out, we're gonna get behind you big time financially and we're gonna try to help you be successful wherever it is that God's calling you to go in the country, we're gonna try to get behind you so that you can launch a new life-giving church that can bless people. Why? Because God has called us to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. So the question becomes, how can you become a wildfire? We're trying to talk about God igniting the passion for life again. I've invited our band, if the band would come up to, to help me out with this. I want you to see what this looks like. Because there's a sequence, there's steps to this, right? We talked about the spark and the fuel in the flame, all of it self-contained conveniently for us in this little lighter here. And so we have, God's ignited the passion. And, and what God has called us to do is he's called us to, yeah, man, you guys can just come stand right here, right in front of me. God's called us to, don't just hold on to it, but to, to make disciples. And so I can choose to hold on to this or I can say, you know what, man? God's called me to make disciples. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share Christ with you. I'm gonna try to help you understand what I've learned. I'm gonna share Christ with you and try to help you understand what, what I've learned. And, and I'm gonna come over here to this side, try not to put the flame out and try to help you understand, man, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how Jesus has changed my life. Let me, let me teach you what I know. Cole, hey, man, let me tell you about Jesus. Man, let me tell you, dude, you are messed up, and I know it. I've known you for a long time, bro. You need Jesus bad but it's okay, Jesus loves you, and I'm gonna help you understand what it's all about. Uh-oh, we got flames that are going out. They're not in community. They're not helping each other out. Y'all should have joined a small group, right? Right? 
And so it starts here, but now it's a decision to multiply. And here's the deal, they're gonna go out. Y'all go ahead, right? And now they're gonna do the same thing. They're gonna multiply. And they're gonna light, they're gonna light two people's candles. And now we're making disciples. It's awkward, it's clumsy. We don't always know what we're doing. We're trying to figure things out, but we're doing the best that we can. We're trying to make disciples. But, but the goal is, isn't that we just do this one time. We're, we're trying to do it again. So, so, so if your candle is lit, I want you to turn and light two people's candles. Turn and light two people's candles. This is, this is audience participation. You're gonna, get your, you're gonna earn the junk food you're gonna eat during the game today. Right, so listen. Now we're making disciples. And now we're embracing the call that God has put on our life to, to not just make disciples by, by telling people, evangelizing and helping people understand. Now we're trying to multiply leaders. If your candle's lit, go, go light two more candles. And it's awkward and it takes time. This is already taking more time than I allotted for, but that's okay. But it's a part of the process. God's called us to, to multiply by multiplying disciples. He's called us to multiply leaders. Now can I get everybody, wherever you are, wherever you're standing, just stand and stop and turn and look at me for a second. Stand and stop and turn and look at me just for a second. Listen to me, church. God has called us and God has called you to multiply. Disciples, leaders, and churches. I want you to notice what happens. What's happened in this room is an image of what happened in the local church. That a group of people were so changed by Jesus, experienced something so overwhelmingly powerful, a grace that was unexplainable and undeserved, the power to rewrite a story that nobody thought could be rewritten in their own life. Mary Magdalene, a prostitute, didn't think it was possible that anybody could love her, but God loved her. And he said, listen, woman, where are those people who condemn you? Go and sin no more. Peter, who was a loud mouth, always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. God said, Peter, I see potential in you. Let me teach you some things, Peter. Matthew was a tax collector. Didn't nobody like Matthew. Matthew was like a Mizzou fan. Didn't nobody like them. Okay, nobody loved Matthew. Matthew sold out his life, his family. No longer wanted to be part of the Jews, but wanted to be with the Romans and tax the Jews. The power of the gospel of Jesus ignites the passion when we begin to understand what it means to discover the life that is in Christ and live fully devoted to him. And then he invites us not to just hold on to it, but he invites us into this story that has been growing for 2,000 years. Kingdoms have risen and fallen. Empires have expanded and collapsed. Wickedness has popped up and gone away. The movement of Jesus remains because the people who have become his disciples have recognized he has invited us into the process of multiplying the message. Listen to me, Discover Church. 
This is how the first century world was turned upside down with a group of 120 unqualified, hated, scared for their life people. And I believe that if you and I would take this seriously, that we could see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time by multiplying disciples and leaders and churches. So how can you help make a disciple? If you're a leader, train a leader. And you can all help by praying for our leadership as we're praying through God, how and when and where can we multiply as a church? Would you pray for our leadership to be able to grow and understanding what it means to be able to multiply leaders and disciple leaders? Would you pray for our church as we try to figure out how we can do a better job of multiplying disciples? All the while remembering the great commission to go make disciples was not given to an organization, it was given to a people. And it starts with you and it starts with me. And if you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. For you, it starts by saying yes to Jesus and allowing him to ignite something that used to be dead and to rewrite your story that you thought couldn't be rewritten. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.